Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on episode three of Own the Road with Auto Trader, where we make car stuff simple for Canadians. My name is Jody Lai, and I'm the editor in chief of Auto Trader. I'm Auto Trader's road test editor, Dan Alika. And this episode is all about car camping and outdoorsy stuff. But you may have noticed that we are a week late to air this episode. I blame Dan. Literally, it is my fault. Um, kind of. <laughs> okay. I, I will give you guys a backstory here. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, on a first drive program, a media drive program um, for the new Nissan Z, which the, the review is out there on YouTube and on autotrader.ca slash editorial. Um, so I was down there for this media drive event. They're really starting to kind of ramp up again now that we're, you know, getting to this point where the pandemic is... I don't want to say normalized, but it's, you know, we're, we're starting to figure out how to live with it. And uh, I was down in Las Vegas for this program and I got COVID. Boom. And that meant I was stuck <laughs> down there for 10 days. And it's so ironic to me because Dan is like one of the most careful people I know in regards to like COVID and stuff. And so it's really crazy to me that you ended up getting yeah, it. Yeah, it was, it was not fun. And, you know, realistically, like... I obviously like knew the risk. Um, you knew it as well. It was like, you know, part of, part of the risk, but it's like, hey, you know, the industry is, is pivoting back to the way it was when we were doing these, these first drive events. And so it was, you know, in the back of my mind and I was still, you know, wearing my mask and everything like that. And uh, yeah, I woke up on the third day and wasn't feeling well and I took a test and, and that was it. So first of all, I say this as, you know, sort of a cautionary tale. I know the whole thing is, you know, making car stuff simple for Canadians, but we could also make travel simple for Canadians because I want to kind of just put it out there that it's like, if you're planning to travel, you know, I'm not here to, to ward you off of it, but have a contingency plan in place. I was lucky because I was on this Nissan program and Nissan, you know, had this plan in place and you know had checks and balances to make sure if anyone got it um and you know pam baker from mci group canada which is like a meeting and, and travel uh company that nissan uses she was like my guardian angel like without her you know taking care of the logistics like it was just one less stress for me to to worry about i was already like you know, pretty scared and, and also like just the unknown yeah. of, of what was going on. So, so Pam really, you know, took care of everything. She, she got me set up with accommodations. She made sure that everything was rebooked for my flight to come home. Um, but my thing is like, chances are the average traveler is not going to have that. Yeah. And, and it's interesting too, because the testing requirements are so hard to understand, right? Yeah. And so technically Dan could have flown home, but he decided to do the right thing. Well, it was actually two, it was two parts. One, I did the right thing. Cause I woke up and I had, I, I had symptoms and I was like, oh no. But the other side of it is I was supposed to go back to the States. The next day. The next day. And so I needed a test because as of right now, um, you need a test to enter the States. You don't need one to re-enter Canada. So that, and that gets to your point. Whereas like technically I didn't need it. Um, but I, A, I would have tested anyways because I woke up and was like, oh no, something's not right. And then on top of that, I needed it because I was supposed to fly back the next day. So... You know, I think like morally it, it felt good. I, I didn't get on a plane 
you know, like spread it around and spread it around yeah. um, because back when I was on the uh, Chevy Silverado ZR2 program, there was this lady in the security line behind me that like very obviously had something wrong with her that seemed an awful lot like COVID <laughs> to the point that like people around her were like, ma'am, like this is not appropriate and finally like security came and took her out of the line and we're, we're like you can't do it but I, you are see because the responsibility falls on all of us um you know i think the right thing to do is to make sure that you know you test and if you're if you're not feeling well take the test but but like i said just make sure now that it's you know getting into the summertime and you might be thinking about traveling down to the states you know just know that you could be shacked up for, yeah. for 10 days without a any, yep. you know, chance so, to so come home. So just to have a plan in yeah. case things go wrong, yeah. you know, um, some extra money budgeted aside for hotels and food and like maybe pack some extra like underwear because oh, Dan that, ran out of I, underwear. I did. <laughs> I had no socks and stuff. I had to, I had to like get some because, you know, when I go on these trips, they're usually only a few days. And so I, you know, live out of a carry on because it's easy and it's nimble and, you know, and uh, right away, I was like, man, I'm I'm in trouble now. Yeah. So just a cautionary tale to, to have a plan B, plan ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's never fun to get sick, but it's still very much a reality that it could happen. And like Dan yeah. called me in the morning and he sounded fine, but he was like, oh, I tested positive. He called me back literally like an hour or two later and you sounded wrecked. Oh, like, it was bad. It happened. It escalated real quick. Yeah. So it was th that was the crazy thing for me, too, was like the the speed at which it progressed, where it was like I was fine the night before. And then the next morning, you know, woke up, my alarm went off at six and it was like boom and then whatever at like nine o'clock when i talked to you the second time it was like oh jody, yeah. uh, <laughs> jody I think i'm, I'm, I'm really stay here. Sick here. <laughs> so but yeah i'm glad you're back dan thank you i'm um, happy to be back he's tested negative so we can be in the same room yeah, together it's been a couple weeks yeah but uh speaking of the pandemic because it is still very much a real thing that is happening um this like huge phenomenon happened where it really forced a lot of Canadians to like reconnect with the outdoors. Yeah. Um, any outdoor activity, camping, like ATVing, kayaking, really exploded over the last two years because of those travel restrictions. We yeah. weren't able to go anywhere. So we really got into the idea of exploring. Well, we, not you. Okay, so full disclosure, <laughs> this episode is on car camping and outdoorsy stuff. I don't like the outdoors at all. Like I've been camping twice and I hated both times. <laughs> It's fair. I also, this was a, this was honestly a happy coincidence. I did not plan this, but the shoes I'm wearing, I know you guys listening on your favorite podcast provider can't see them, but those of you watching <laughs> this on YouTube, you can see these are RV themed Nike SBs. Really? Yeah. And I didn't, I put them on this morning, not thinking, wow. Hey, we're doing this whole camping thing, but they're, they're like modeled after like, you know, uh, like 70s or 80s, like Winnebago's. Okay, I could kind of see that. Yeah, so anyways, that's just a happy coincidence. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, but also the timing kind of works because the long weekend is coming, yeah. which is the unofficial start to Canadian yeah. camping season. Yeah. Technically, it's like a lot of places, you know, provincial sites usually open like in early May. But yeah, really, this is like the, the unofficial start because the weather's just nice enough where, you know, you're probably going to be okay. Um, so this is why I hate camping so much. The last time I went camping, it was over the May long weekend and it snowed. Yeah. It and so I was like, miserable. I'm done. I'm not doing this again. Yeah. 
Yeah, when I used to live in northern Alberta, it was like that. That's what everybody told me when I lived there. They're, I'm like, you know, this weather's pretty ruthless. And they're like, we make it to, you know, May long weekend without snow. That's it. We're done for the year. I'm like, okay, cool. And it didn't snow the May long weekend. And I was like, perfect. And then the June 1st that year, I was at work and I walked out of the newsroom and it was snowing and it stayed all weekend. And I was like, guys, this is not That's depressing fair. as yeah. heck. But good camping out there. Beautiful oh, out there. man. It um, is lovely. So, yeah, we're going to be talking a lot about outdoors thingies. Dan's going to take the lead on this because I just called it outdoor thingies because yeah. I know nothing about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we have a, a guest later on to yeah. tell us all about overlanding and what it is and how it's different from car camping. Dan does camping a lot, so he's going to have a lot of really great tips for you. Um, and again, if you like our podcast or webcast, please subscribe. Yeah. And if you enjoyed it, rate it. Rate it. Leave a comment. I'm yep. sure you can do that. You know, let us know what you like. You can also email us at expert at trader.ca. That's correct. Dan yep. never remembers I know, our literally, email. Literally, it's the same <laughs> as like, you know, my email address just being like my first name and last name at Trader. But then every time I go to say it on the podcast, I'm always like, am I about to mess it up? Yep, so, but and I, you I, usually do, but at least I this got, time he I got, got it. it. It's okay. expert at, at trader.ca trader if you have any questions. Uh, we also have a lot of ask an expert questions to address um, in this episode. Yeah. We got a lot of great submissions. Um, but yeah, let's get right into it. So totally. car camping. Yep. Dan goes car camping a lot. Yeah. Um, maybe you can share with our audience the basics of car camping, kind of the pros and cons. Yeah, well, I, so I kind of, I define it you know, as literally like camping in or with your car, right? I mean, there's the idea that car camping is just using your car to get to a campsite, but I, I refer to it more as like, are you, you know, sleeping? Are you integrating your car into your plans? Right. If so, that, that's what I classify Instead as Instead of camping. like parking somewhere and like hiking Or just like, campsite? even if it's at a campsite and you park the car and then you set up your tent and everything. Um, but if you're actually camping, you know, out of your car. That's what I refer to as car camping, which I've been doing for, for years. And not like my friend Kyle, who literally just like, you know, folds the driver's seat back and like passes out. That's where he sleeps? Yeah, he's weird. He There's brings, no tent? No, he brings a tent. He brings a sleeping bag. He like, you know, is all ready to be this big like outdoorsman. <laughs> and then he's like, well, I'm going to go you know, sit in the car and, and turn the air conditioning on. And then you look over like an hour later and he's snoring in the driver's seat. Yeah. I messed with him. He slept in there once and I took his spare key. And then while he was sleeping, I kept hitting the panic button and the alarm kept going off. And then the next morning we were all like, Kyle, what was going on? And he's just like, I, I kept rolling over on my keys. And then while he was like telling us, I hit it again. And he was like, and then he, he figured out. And then the really funny thing is, well, I guess not that funny for, for him, uh, is that he, you know, got mad and took the spare key from me and then accidentally locked both keys in the car. So on the Sunday when we went to leave, he couldn't get into his brand new car. Oh it was God. literally two months old. And he had to break into it by like, he bent the door frame so that we could get a stick in. This is hit. all your fault. No, it's his fault. He shouldn't have slept in the car. This is why car camping done right and not <laughs> the wrong way, not the Kyle way. Okay? Wow. Yeah. A lot um, to unpack there, I know. There's a lot going on in that story. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess 
one of the lessons we can learn here is if you bring a spare key, don't put put them both in the same spot. Yes, he put them like in the trunk. <laughs> one was in like his jacket pocket, and one of them was the one that he took from me, all grumpy, and he like threw it into the trunk and then closed it. And that was like you know two days before the fateful you know realization wow. that he was locked out. But but if you car camp properly, i.e., using a tent that you know you fix to the back of like your your wagon or your hatchback. You wouldn't have to worry about locking yourself out, but what you do have to worry about is potentially draining your battery. Ask me how I know. How do you <laughs> know this, Dan? So <laughs> I uh, was camping with my girlfriend, and we were we had the tent set up on the back. But the problem is, I usually advocate just disconnect your battery. Okay, if you're camping, if it's more than just one night, even if it's just one night, but especially if it's a an older battery. You know, just disconnect it because the dome light, every time you open the door, mm -hmm. it triggers, you know, the, the ECU because it, it thinks you're about to start the vehicle, right? Got so it, it starts to wake up all the computers. Is there a safe, easy way to do it for people who don't know? To disconnect the battery? Yeah. Yeah, literally just like take a take a wrench, you know, and, and disconnect the negative terminal, disconnect the positive terminal, make sure the, you know, they don't touch, just push them off to the side and then close the hood and you're good to go. Cool. And it's super easy, and it's just like that, you know, pain-free way because, yeah, we, we woke up. Um, we were camping. It was like a beautiful weekend. We had a blast, and then we were getting ready to go, and the car wouldn't start. And I tried my booster pack, but it was, like, dead enough that, that it didn't work. And luckily, this, this guy offered to give me a boost. Um, but I, that's why I always say keep a booster pack as well as booster cables, okay. because sometimes you get to that point where you might not be able to jump it with one of those booster packs. Um, but the other thing to do and what I've done, um, since is if you camp or tailgate a lot, invest in a deep cycle battery, right? So like, you know, mine is a, is an Optima yellow top and it's, they're just like, a, they're great for cold starts. They're great for, you know, Jody and I, we, we drive these different press cars every week. So our cars sit for a week at a time. So it just gives you that cold cranking amperage to, to cool. get it started again. But it also means if you do camp with it and you're opening the doors or you're listening to music, it's going to last longer right. than your average battery. And then you don't have to worry about disconnecting it. Yeah, I still do just okay. to play it safe, but you you know, realistically, okay. you, you wouldn't have to worry so, about it. Tip number one, deep cycle battery. Deep cycle battery Tip is a number huge two, one. make sure you have, invest in a booster, but also make sure it's charged fully before yes, you head out. and have booster cables as well, just in case, um, but, but disconnect the battery. Okay, cool. Um, what other tips do you have for a successful car camping trip? And keep in mind that like most people, I know you, when you camp, you do it very fancy. Yeah, I remember <laughs> I told you my friends call me the Sultan because it's like yeah. I have a carpet outside of my tent because I don't want to get dirt inside and whatever. But my thing is this, if you have, you know, an SUV or a, or a wagon of some sort, um, you don't have to, rooftop tents are super cool, but they're also very expensive. Mm -hmm. um, there is a company called Napier, and they have these different types of tents that one of them is like this awning style tent that basically just extends off of your open tailgate mm -hmm. so that you can sleep in the back of it and, you know, climb out and it's got a fly and everything like that. And, and I've had one for years 
and it's an amazing it, and it's super cheap. I think it's like maybe 130 bucks brand new. Cool. Um, and then there are bigger ones, and Napier also makes one that kind of incorporates a standard tent, like a six-person tent, but then it also zips to connect with the back of your vehicle. Cool. So that you can use both. So let's say you know whatever, like the couple, you know, mom and dad can sleep on on the ground and the kids can sleep in the back of the car okay. so that they can still kind of interact um, and they're off the ground. Okay. Uh, and there's also tents that you can get that go into the beds of trucks. So there's lots of cool options that are more affordable, especially if it's your first foray into camping, you don't want to sleep on the ground, which I'm, you know. Can I ask a question? Because I don't know. Yeah. What is the benefit of sleeping in your car versus on the ground? Comfort mainly. So you just don't have being, like sticks and stuff? Well, just like the, the ground is hard no matter what, yeah. you know, air mattresses kind of suck. Um, and, and I'm, again, that bougie side of me, like <laughs> I, I have a cot, like an oversized cot that I, so when I'm not sleeping in my car, I have inside of my tent so that I'm elevated off the ground and it's a little wow. more, and I'm like 6'3", so I bought this like massive one and uh and my tent is also big enough for me to stand up inside of cool which is handy it's always the experience is what you make of it and also how you know kind of prepared you are if you go out with like a tiny tent and a thin sleeping bag and not enough food and not enough beer <laughs> you're probably gonna have a somewhat miserable experience okay so how do you deal with bears when you're car camping and is it different from regular camping no that so that is something that i've that i've said before and i did write this story um that you can go on autotrader.ca slash editorial and i did like a i think it was five tips um uh, to go camping with your car so if you search you know car camping on on autotrader you'll you'll find this story that is a problem because usually when you go camping it's like set up your tent keep the food in the car overnight so that animals can't can get to it. it. Exactly. Well, obviously that becomes a bit of an issue if you're sleeping in the back. My solution is just get a couple smaller coolers. A, they'll they'll stay colder longer because, you know, it's not this mm -hmm. big space. And B, then you can stack them up on your on your front seats. And still lock the door. And that way you can sleep in the back. Right. And then, you know, the coolers are on the front seats. And that way they're out of out of the way no cool. no bears are going to get to them um also string string food up in the trees is, is something that people have been doing for years really so they go You've to the never trees seen people do that garbage up camp. in the tree like oh yeah true well anyways it is a strategy okay cool um but yeah the the smaller coolers on the front seat is a is a good one if you're going to sleep in your in your car and i just find it's nice especially like you know someone in your shoes right where it's like camping's not really your thing whatever it's kind of like a nice comfortable way to do it um you can buy air mattresses that are kind of like shaped specifically to go in the back of of a vehicle cool um our our friend paul paul reed shout out he used to bring it's pretty smart a futon mattress Oh, and just like fold and it just up or that, something? Because it would kind of like work around yeah. the wheel. This was in his golf wagon, which he sadly got rid of mm -hmm. foolishly. Probably regrets it. Bought a Tacoma instead. With these gas prices? Yeah. Oh. That's... But anyways, 
Paul, silly old Paul, <laughs> he puts this futon mattress in the in the back. That sounds cozy. Yeah, and it's nice and comfortable. I have an air mattress set up, and it's pretty good. I don't really like. I can sleep in my golf wagon um, by myself with my girlfriend. It's not so good. When I had my Outback, more than enough room cool. for for two. So I always thought one of the benefits of car camping is that you can use your car as a power source. So like you can plug stuff into it um but again you got to be mindful of the battery, of the battery. right that's th that's my only thing is like i'm always i'm of the mind that it's like i don't run it unless i have to and i'd rather get set up and just kind of leave it so i'll bring a couple um little like battery packs because you know i'll use my phone to listen to music mm. um this would be a good time to plug that that ford f-150 gas hybrid and lightning electric with the onboard inverter yeah which a lot of vehicles have inverters now and it is handy but, but this with, is like one of the most powerful ones available oh it's like you can run a the, fridge off it if you wanted to yeah with the you can run your trailer off of it like if you were so let's say you're camping and you've got the hybrid i think that that one i think is like a 7.2 kilowatt um inverter the f-150 lightning which is the all electric one that's that's just coming to market that one has like a 9.7, don't quote me on the numbers, but I think it's 9.7 um, kilowatt inverter. And that means if you're driving to a campground and if you've got your trailer hooked up to the back, you can plug it in directly to like the NEMA locking connector in the back and keep your, your fridge running so you can have your food and your beer loaded up in the fridge. That's a you know big theme of camping for me is, is beer. beer. Yeah, <laughs> so you can keep it all loaded up. But then last year, you thought it was kind of fun. My buddies and I, when we went camping, we hooked a projector up and watched movies over the like That's over so the bay cool. where we camped. It was like I'm gonna go out on a. I I would call it a magical experience. It, it does was, sound pretty magical. It was pretty nice. See, that sounds really fun. Even though I don't like camping, that experience to me sounds like I I could do that. Yeah, it was um, cool. But this actually really leads really well into our next topic, which is like. Um, features that drivers should look for if they're kind of an outdoorsy driver. So yeah. we're not telling, we're not saying like if you're an off-roader, but if you are looking for a daily driver and you happen to do things that are really outdoorsy, like camping, maybe you kayak or mountain yep. bike or something like that, there's certain features that will really help um, during those experiences. Yeah. And one of them is is those onboard generators. Totally. Um, another thing you should look for is like body cladding, plastic yeah, that's, body that's cladding around the wheels. For multiple reasons, right? It's like A, let's say you're on a narrow trail, but B, the big one for me is if you want to bring your bikes or your kayak or whatever, you can lean it against the car and you're not going to worry about damaging the paint. It's very nice. And, you know, back in the day, like the Honda Element, that's actually what the cladding was designed for. Uh, and, it, and it is a very handy feature because, you know, if you're taking a bike off the roof, and you're by yourself and there's not like a tree around for you to lean it against it'd be nice to just kind of like drop it down you can place it down in that way that you can kind of reposition and not yeah. like be like what am i supposed to do with this thing yeah so plastic body cladding is yeah. great um and and one cool thing because of this whole like outdoor this like drive towards outdoorsiness that happened during the pandemic is that a lot of automakers started offering very outdoorsy themed cars right from the factory yeah. so you can get something like a toyota rav4 trd pro or trail. like TRD, uh, sorry it's trail. the trail it's the it's like the the rav4 trail trd 
I, it's a weird name, yeah. but like the Mazda CX-50 is doing it. Like the yeah. Subaru Forester and Outback Wilderness versions. Even like even the the regular Forester and Outback. I used to work at Subaru. I used to own uh, an Outback, and those things are they've got the ground clearance. They've got the cladding. You can you know, and that is a great. The Outback was a great camping vehicle, and my friends Carrie and Allie, um, they're you know avid campers. And so Carrie and I were, were talking and he's always been a Subaru fan. And, uh, you know, we were talking last year and he was looking to, to upgrade. And so he went and checked out the Outback and they love it. They have two dogs and they just got like an awning to attach to, to the side. Cool. So like when they have the roof rails and the crossbars um, extended, they can hook this awning onto it. And that way it gives you some shade when you're camping so even whether you're sleeping in the car or in a tent it's just nice to have some you know extra extra shelter yeah that's um, fantastic and they're like you know they're slowly building that thing up but the cool thing is it's still their daily driver it's still like you know they they went to see our friend eddie out east drove from ontario and it was like comfortable and perfect so it's not like this big rugged off-roader yeah. but it can get them places that the average vehicle just can't go and it's way more efficient than driving something that's like purely focused on off-roading yeah. as well. And it's more manageable in the day-to-day -day life, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to that power generator, a lot of vehicles these days come with like a three-prong household yeah, plug, that's which is the a killer inverter. feature. It's just usually, usually those are like somewhere in the kind of 600 watt range. So to give you an idea, like the smallest inverter that you can get with the gas-powered F-150 is is 2700 watts it's 2.7 kilowatts so it's like quite a bit more and the interesting thing that even i didn't know something you know i learned camping was i had that truck so i was like well rather than you know wasting time in the morning like boiling water on the fire or whatever for coffee i'll just bring an electric kettle and just plug it right in plug it into the truck yeah that thing took so much and i didn't really think about it those heater coils in the kettles it was like I think it was something like, I don't quote me on it, but I think it was like 1,800 watts it was drawing. So it was almost at peak capacity of that gas for power. For a kettle. For a kettle. That's interesting. I was yeah. thinking it would be useful for like an air compressor, like for your bike tires or something yeah, or, like that. Yeah, or your air mattress yeah. or whatever. It is nice to have, um, you know, and it is a very common feature like SUVs, minivans. It's it's more common. And, and electric cars nowadays are having that, you know, they call it vehicle to load. I think it's kind of funny that, that there's like this this term that's been coined and it's vehicle to load when, you know, to your point, like the whole idea of an inverter, which is basically what that is, yeah. has existed for decades. Yeah, I think the difference is that for electric cars, for some reason, it's only like a modern thing. Yeah, and they want to like, you know, I think sell it as a feature. So it's yeah. like calling it. And it, in fairness too, it can also usually, um, it's a little bit more capable than the average inverter. Like I said, if they're right. usually 600 watts, you know, an electric vehicle can do more, more. than that. Yeah. Um, but the, so the, the Kia EV6, you can buy, so it has like the top trim, I think it is, has the vehicle to load outlet under the back seat. But it also, you can buy this adapter that plugs into the, the exterior like the charge, charge port. port that turns into like reverse 
charging so you can plug stuff in that's outside the car cool. yeah yeah that, I, like I love that, that feature and yeah. I, I imagine people really getting into using that especially if they take it during like car camping and stuff yeah um, another feature that I look for you should look for if you're an outdoorsy driver is rubber mats yeah like for the trunk for like a rubber cargo mat yeah. or even on the inside where yeah. your passengers are because you can take them out get them dirty hose them off it's super easy very rugged and that's what i you know going back to what you said about you know automakers like building these kind of you know right from the factory like adventure ready vehicles um is you know going back to like the subaru outback um there, so there's a few different, you know, trims, and one of them that that was like discontinued to to replace it with the Wilderness, which is a little more, you know, rugged and outdoorsy. Um, but it, I think it was called the Outdoor, and it has this upholstery that's like kind of like a neoprene type upholstery, so that it's like easy to wipe down if you get it dirty. And I really like that level of thoughtfulness. That's really nice. Leather's good for that too. If you're, you know, again, like if you're kind of an outdoorsy person and you think you're gonna track dirt and stuff in, it's much easier to clean leather than it cloth. is cloth. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, roof racks is another big one huge. or roof rails will be huge if you're an outdoorsy driver yeah. because it makes it easier for you to put stuff on top like a cargo box or, or if you wanted one of those rooftop tents. Yeah, and, and really that's something that you gotta, you know, you've, you've gotta look for the right, you know, equipment for the job. So if you wanna do a rooftop tent, make sure the vehicle that you're shopping for has the static load capacity to handle that kind of weight, right? Because you gotta think the equipment and people, you know, that's gonna add like, uh, if you have two people sleeping on a rooftop tent you know, you're looking at a few hundred pounds um, with all the stuff. And so, you know, it's it's good to make sure that the that the car you're looking for has the static load limit that will allow you to, to sleep up there. Perfect. Yeah, that's something that I wouldn't have thought of. So thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. But also keep in mind, dynamic load and static load are different. So like the roof rack won't, it can't carry as much. Like, let's say it's rated for 450 pounds. You can't drive with 450 pounds on the roof. Right. Right. The but if it's parked, you can hold that much. But if it's parked, the static load limit. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Um, obviously, all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive that's is, is one a, that I like to mention. Yeah. Like, that's one of those ones that it's, I would not call it a necessity, but it but it is nice to have. Just in um, case your trails are, like, a bit sketchy. Exactly. Uh, because, you know, we've, we've all been there. We've all been in situations where, like, Oh man, that you know, extra traction would have come in handy. Yeah. Um, but it's not. I wouldn't say it's like explicitly necessary. But like my golf is front wheel drive. And uh, for most situations, I think it is completely fine, and you've never gotten stuck camping with your golf. No, but if you're you know leaning more towards like the overlanding end of things, then then you know four wheel traction is all but a must, which might be a good transition okay let's do it bring in our our guest this week yes let's let's do it now today we have a special guest joining us because our episode is all about the outdoors and car camping wait should this week be 
own the trail instead of own the road? That's a good question. I like your suggestion. Perhaps. Um, we'll have to Photoshop something up here. We'll work on it. Um, but I'd like to welcome Christian Walsh to Own the Road. He is the creator of a really cool organization called Overland North. So thank you so much for joining us today, Christian. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you. So if you can um, explain to our listeners briefly, like what is overlanding and how is it different from car camping? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing because now in today's automotive uh, accessory market specifically, and the manufacturers are getting involved too, um, overlanding is just really well equipped car camping, right? So you're going to see vehicles that have things like kitchens in them or a means for um, you know, dealing with human waste. And you'll see there's a lot of vehicles these days driving around with rooftop tents on them, for example, which is a really comfortable way to sleep while you're, uh, while you're on a trip. So to us, overlanding is really just uh, very well-equipped uh, car camping and the means to sort of maybe spend a little bit longer on the road so that you can be comfortable. And I mean, I want to bring my wife and my kids with me as well. So we have to have amenities with us, which make that possible. Yeah, it's like that whole idea that that the the adventure itself is what you're doing. It's not getting to a destination and and staying there. It's about like the actual trip of of getting to that destination, and then turning around and coming home. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we we say the journey is is the most important part. The the destinations there are many along the way. So you know, um, the vehicles become a tool for us to get where we need to go, but. In between A and B, there's all kinds of different uh, things to see along the way, which which often end up being the best part of the trip. Okay, well, this is own the road or slash own the trail <laughs> this week. So we got to ask you, what, what's your vehicle that you own? What's your overlanding rig? That's a, an interesting question. So I'm on my fourth iteration of a build, if you will. Okay. Cool. So I'm currently uh, building up uh, a very unique vehicle. I have a, a regular cab short box Toyota Tundra. Nice. And then we've put a cap on the back of it with some awnings that sort of stretch around so we can really get a comfortable campsite situation. And I'll tell you, at our last Overland North gathering in September, we had a lot of rain. And those that were prepared for the rain had a very comfortable and relaxed weekend. And those that weren't were really <laughs> getting some tips and tricks from the people that, that were, right? So Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, so the new truck is, uh, it's only a two-seater, fair enough. So it's uh, its a solo rig or for two people. But we do have also a really, uh, uh, a very simple and Spartan uh, third-gen Toyota 4Runner as well. I'm a Toyota fanboy, self-proclaimed. Um, but yeah, my wife has a 4Runner as well. So we often travel together in two vehicles with our kids and the dog. Nice. That's cool. I was yeah. at, you know, I mean, obviously overlanding has been a thing for, you know, for decades really but it's it's you know i think like in the last kind of 10 years or so is when it's really taken off and back in 20 i think it was 2016 or 2017 i was at um the overland expo down in arizona and man the stuff i saw down there was like drool worthy right it was amazing and i and i think and that was kind of why we wanted to do this because you know it's such a great opportunity for people to get out and explore with you know like you said as a as a family or or with friends and with the pandemic hitting like what a great you know kind of push to get out there and, and explore for sure and and the reason overland north exists is because we don't have overland expo here in canada 
So back in January of 2020, I dreamed up this idea of doing something where we could get the community together and meet some meet some like-minded people and you know get some ideas from this guy about how he built out his vehicle and it just didn't exist. So um, we started a Facebook group and then of course March of 2020 came along which changed everything drastically. Totally, but yeah. we were pretty stalwart. We had our first event in September of 2020 outdoors. So it was a very safe and well thought out uh, gathering of, of people. And the first year we had, you know, 50 amazing rigs show up with all the people that accompanied that. And then last year it doubled in size. And now this June coming up between the third and the fifth, we're going to, again, probably double the number of vehicles that are on site. So there's lots of ways to see how other people have done this thing. And now we have lifelong friends from these gatherings as well. Totally. Why don't you go ahead and plug the, the Facebook page and the site for people if they want to check it out. Sure, yeah. So we're uh, Overland North, spelled N-T-H dot C-A is the website. Um, a really active and engaged group of people on the Facebook group, Overland North. And then, of course, the Instagram handle is at Overland North as well, which will link you to the page too. So, you know, there's, uh, there's over 1,500 members now on the uh, Overland wow. North Facebook group, which is awesome because, for example, the other day, someone was looking for an item that they couldn't find. And within 10 minutes, eight people had directed them to maybe a local supplier or had a used part or whatever the thing is. So that's really cool. I yeah. think that like community aspect of Overland North is really cool. So I first became aware of Overland North when I was uh, test driving a Ford Bronco. It was the two door and it gets a lot of attention. It was bright yellow. Um, but I went to the grocery store with it, which is uh, not what it's meant to do, but I did it. <laughs> and someone from Overland North had put a sticker with a little note on the back saying, like, cool rig, let's get in touch. And I thought that was such a nice gesture, a really welcoming um, gesture for someone who knows nothing or very little about overlanding. Um, and then I became aware of your group. And I was learning a lot of really interesting things. Um, and I learned that a lot of people have some misconceptions about overlanding. So maybe you could talk to us about um, like what are some of those misconceptions that you would just love to uh, demystify? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably the best question there is because, I mean, we can poke holes in the myth of overlanding. You don't need a rooftop tent and you don't need a hundred thousand dollar like fully kitted defender. We had a guy show up last year in a lowered Mazda three and he had just as much fun <laughs> as anybody else. It's again, it's about the journey. And the, you know, the, the camaraderie is the biggest thing for me. You know, I miss that from my days of, you know, playing rugby and all the, the people that we got together all the time. It's, it's more about the people than anything. And, and now we're, we're being intentional. I mean, at the gatherings, for example, there's a whole program for kids. There's going to be, I would think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 or 60 kids camping with us for the weekend. That's awesome, man. So, you know, and it's everything from, you know, sleeping in a hammock to a ground tent to... You know, there's folks that have fully outfitted vans with solar systems and kitchens. And it's it's really, there, there's no barrier to entry. You could get in a Toyota Corolla and do a lot of the stuff that we do. It's not, I know you mentioned earlier the, the own the trail thing. A lot of the trips we do, we don't even leave the gravel, you know, because it's really, we want to check out this waterfall or we want to check out this cool restaurant. So it's to, to, to deal with some of the misconceptions, um, I think it's fair to say that you don't need all the stuff. I think the best thing you can do right off the hop is just fill up the tank and go somewhere. And then from then it becomes the next thing, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah. that's super fun. Um, and you also mentioned that you travel with your kids and your dog. 
Can you share some tips with us and our listeners on how to make that trip a little bit easier? For sure. Well, uh, first thing is snacks. Uh, snacks are very important. Not even just for kids. For me, I need. Yeah, snacks. that's just my. Yeah. That's the most important thing in my life in general. But you'll find, like, I think one of the best ways to make things way more comfortable is a simple twelve volt fridge that you can just plug into a twelve volt port in any car. You can have cold drinks and food with you that are accessible while you're on the road. Um, you know, the dog, uh, our dog does not travel well. It's a frustration for us. So we have a comfortable spot for her in the back of my wife's forerunner. And um, when we get to camp, though, it's it's uh, it's a really simple and quick setup. I mean, a lot of the new tents, they're not really expensive. But when you get there, you can just sort of spring them open and then you're done. You know, and then all of a sudden we're uh, we're camping look for some firewood and uh, I actually wrote a song about uh, that thing in, in particular the firewood is sometimes the biggest struggle but when it comes to the kids I mean modern vehicles are comfortable the air conditioners work great the heaters work great you know it doesn't need to be super fancy but uh, you know and in today's day and age too we find that uh, cell reception is usually really good in most places unless you get too too far away so you know the boys want to play Roblox or something you know what just let them play them yeah, you know, yeah. they're going to they're going to look for the scenery occasionally as well. But some of those amenities do do make things a little bit easier. I got to say, too, you know, I mean, as someone who who, you know, does some four wheeling, does some camping, I think Jody and I have talked on previous episodes that, you know, our, the whole point of this is, you know, our, our slogan, whatever, is making car stuff simple for Canadians. And we mm -hmm. talk a lot about, um, you know, the kind of like insular car communities where it's like a little bit I don't want to say like standoffish but it's a little bit like oh you're an outsider and one thing I got to say and, and I think like for a lot of people listening and watching out there who are maybe thinking about dabbling in in overlanding or or camping for the first time is I find like of all the groups of you know automotive enthusiasts if you want to group you know kind of group it all in like off-roaders and overlanders are some of the most selfless most yeah. generous most like caring people that when you encounter them on the trail or at a campground or whatever, it's always like, how can we help? Or do you need something? You always leave with something that you didn't have when you got there, whether it's an item, whether it's food or whether it's like a piece of knowledge. And I yep. think like a group like yours is such a great opportunity for people who are just getting started mm -hmm. to kind of build that camaraderie and build their knowledge base and know that they're not doing it alone. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's why we offer a day pass to the event. You don't have to come and camp for the whole thing. Just come check things out on a Saturday. And I'll, I'll share a quick story with you. At our fall gathering last year, there was a new Canadian. His name is Victor. Uh, he joined the trail run and he got stuck. And the Overland North community got him out of the stuck situation that he was in on the trail. And he was so kind at the end of the, the gathering in September last year. He said this is the most welcome he felt since he came to Canada. Because everyone That's was just awesome. so, so nice, nice to him. Yeah. That made us feel good because, like, it doesn't matter who you are. Please yeah. come and join. You know, we're, we're not vehicle phobic. You can have one of these or one of those. It makes no difference. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, you're, I think you're right. Um, the the off-road and overland culture is very much uh, inclusive and welcoming to yeah, everyone. Totally, man. It's yeah. it's so great. And, and I think that helps a lot, right? Because, like, I look at, you know, going to the racetrack for the first time, it can be very intimidating. And it often feels like you might be afraid to ask a question or you don't right. want to do something stupid. 
those same fears exist out on the trail and they should for good reason because it can mm -hmm. it can get dangerous right um you shouldn't go out alone but it's nice to be part of a community even if you're not actually traveling with those specific people it's like you know no person left behind if you encounter someone on the trail you know you guys are gonna do whatever you can to get them pointed in the right direction get them unstuck whatever it takes yeah. and i think that's so great and like i said especially as the pandemic has kind of pushed people to to get out and explore you know their backyards it's nice to know that you guys are like those you know those kind of ambassadors for overlanding and for the trail and and for you know canada and canadians for sure. Ambassador is the best word. And, and this is why we do like we do a, a recovery clinic during the gathering. So you can learn how to use a, a toe strap or a winch. Um, the guys from the Toyota Enthusiast Club as well are going to be doing a doing a clinic on the tread lightly principle. So what we have a problem with to a certain extent is over usage of trails. So we don't want to use them too early in the spring as they're thawing out. But we're also leaving it as we found it. So not leaving garbage around and picking up after others, those sorts of things, too. So, you know, we're very in intentional about the messaging there, which is we have this amazing resource in Ontario. Lots of crown land to explore, but let's do it in the right way as well. Yeah, for sure. I last year I, I went out a couple times with the Central Ontario Off-Road Jeep Club. And those guys are, you know, so knowledgeable and mm. every single one of them, you know, we were shooting a video review as, as part of the days. And, you know, every time I looked, it's like, well, you know, I was like climbing over an obstacle. Somebody was like picking up beer cans yep. and, and keeping, and I'm like, it's so great to see that spirit exist no matter what. And, and it's not just when other people are, are watching, you know, it's like yep. you're doing the right thing. And my buddies and I are like that. We like exclusively camp on crown land and every time we show up it's like hey somebody's been here before and i get it bush parties and whatever but it's like well i'm not going to leave that garbage there because a it ruins it for the next person and especially if it's their first experience mm -hmm. and b it's a quick way you know for the mnr or whoever in the the local municipality that you're in to say this this is shut down we're not going to let people camp here anymore and that so does think, happen. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. With the amount of increase in domestic tourism due to COVID, people just couldn't travel. The The impact and the, the pressure on some of these areas is higher than it's ever been. So, you know, I used to be a canoe tripper and an outdoor education teacher. In my heart is leave no trace camping, right? Yeah. So like this is what we're trying to spread that as much as possible. And, and not to shame people that don't understand it. It's more of an educational thing. You yeah, know, listen. Absolutely we all have to work together to keep these trails open and the guys from the Ontario Federation of four wheel drive clubs do a really good job of, of yeah. lobbying uh, to keep the trails open. We need to support them as much as possible, but at Overland North specifically, I think you'll find anywhere that our people go, you wouldn't even notice they were there rather other than see some tire tracks, you know, we're keeping it, we're keeping it uh, as sustainable as possible. That's perfect. That's just what we like to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Christian, was there anything else you wanted to add before we before we end our call today? Well, we just love to see more of you. So please join the Facebook group Overland North. Uh, we'd love to see you at the gathering coming up on June 3rd through 5th at Albion uh, Hills Conservation Area, which is a beautiful place to host an event like that. And then we do have an event coming up in September as well that's more of a rally style event. So we'll be doing much more driving and less camping, which could be fun. So we'd love to see you guys at, uh, at one of the gatherings. Totally, man. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Christian. We really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for your time, folks. Thanks. Have a good Cheers. one. Bye-bye.
So yeah, overlanding sounds really fun. I didn't know a lot of those things. Super cool. And really, I do think it's great, you know, people like Christian and Overland North, like just those resources, you're going to find if this is something that you're interested in, you know, they are like the most welcoming, you know, easygoing, helpful people. I don't know what it is about, you know, that lifestyle, but it's just like it brings out the the nicest qualities in people yeah um, so i especially if, like what he said about like taking care of the environment yeah that's and, a but also one. enjoying it at yeah. the same time so you know if you're if you're thinking about doing it um you know they're a good resource and just in general getting out into the outdoors you're going to encounter a lot of people that you know are are like-minded and and it's really great yeah, even me. I know nothing about it. He, he answered all of my questions without judgment or anything. Yeah. So, and that's the kind of vibe that that you know, uh, overlanders and off roaders are all about. Always, you know, it's funny. Like when it, the the Central Ontario off road Jeep Club guys that I went four wheeling with last summer with the Rubicon four by E and the and the Bronco, um, they always joke about it, right? Because it's like they're a Jeep club, but it's like they don't turn away any you know, off-roader, doesn't matter if they're, you know, in a, in a Toyota, a Ford, whatever, it's like, they're going to offer a helping hand. And especially because like, people often think that they can do this stuff alone. And I even see people that are just like, underprepared, right? So it's like, when you're four-wheeling, one of the biggest, you know, mistakes I see out there is people don't air down their tires. Okay. And that is like, something that it's it's such a difference maker because you know it 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 widens your your footprint literally um but it also means when you're going over rocks or whatever that the tire can kind of like articulate around the obstacle right um and i see a lot my my buddy sent a video to the group chat the other day was a brand new ford bronco and this guy was going up this obstacle and didn't air down his tires and you could watch and he kind of like went nose up in the air and then his tires like bounced off the rocks because they were fully inflated and he flipped backwards <gasps> and rode off this Bronco. And it was brand new. Brand new. Oh my God. And, and that's one of those, I'm not saying, you know, I guarantee you that if he aired down that he could have avoided that. I mean but, the angle and whatever, yeah. But that would that's be scary. such a difference maker and I see it quite often is that people just you know, don't air down. And it is such a crucial element cool. of, of off-roading. So we should make this another episode. A full Let's do a full episode on the Done. basics of off-roading because Done. I also, I learned a lot yeah. last year because I went off-roading a couple times. Didn't you have a little, uh, I got real stuck. Like really was that, stuck. Was that on you or did someone else get you into that? Mess? I blame someone else. Do you want to One name One of that our contributors, else? Jeff Wilson, <laughs> uh, really put us in a sticky situation. But I will go over that story in a future episode <laughs> so I could roast him some more about all the stuff we did wrong during that excursion. <laughs> Maybe we'll have him on as a guest and he can, you know, he yeah. can go over it and, and sort of, uh, you know, I would love that so I could roast him in front of all of our people. Yes. Okay, absolutely. perfect. Um, that actually leads us to our ask an expert question. So again, if you have any questions about anything, you can email us at expert at trader.ca. That's the right email address. Yes, just tattoo it, it on yourself so you'll remember. Um, and we actually got this question through our Facebook page. I don't remember who the original poster was. Okay. 
but he wanted to know, could you please let me know which SUV is good for camping and can sleep three inside? So two adults and one kid. And so I know, I, know, I, I know that I don't know anything about camping. However, my advice would be if you, depending on how often you're camping, like if you're only going once or twice a year, I would consider getting like a regular size vehicle and then renting an RV during yeah, those camping trips. Like sleeping three in a vehicle is very tough. Yeah. Even something huge like a Suburban or even a minivan, you have to think, right? Even if it's like a, like unless it's, you know, whatever like an infant a yeah. toddler whatever that they can just kind of fit in between um that would be a tight fit and i wouldn't recommend it and at that point i would just say hey get a get a big tent and the other thing about tenting is like if you you know if you're like oh it's there's three of us don't get like a you know a four-person tent get a six or an eight really totally and and yeah okay i'm a big guy but it's it's <laughs> like the space is always a little bit idealistic what's listed on the on the label so if you want a little bit more room to stretch out and like i said it's like you know and, and like christian said tents these days are you know they're easy to set up like i like the ones you can just go boom and they explode open. yeah mine is pretty it's not quite that easy but it's pretty easy and like i said i can stand up inside of it which is very impressive and very handy because i hate that feeling of you know, being slouched over. Yeah, or like and, crawling everywhere. Yeah, so, you know, it's nice to, to be able to have all that space, but totally if you're, you know, there is a, a, a kind of line that you have to draw. So when I use that tent and I'm by myself and it's like early in the season or late in the season, some pretty chilly nights, you know, because it's like there's no one else. If I'm with my buddies and it's just me sleeping in that tent, it's like, you know, there's no kind of radiant heat from everyone. Um, no one to cuddle up to is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> Kyle's sleeping in his car, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great tip. So yeah. thank you. We hope that kind of answered your question yeah, in a I'm roundabout sorry it's way. Not, yeah, yeah, exactly what you wanted to hear. But I just really don't think there's a... There's yeah, like a three person. The, the advice that I always give is like, don't don't buy a car for what you think you might do. Buy a car for what you actually do. Yeah. And in those rare instances where you need to like camp or tow, just rent a vehicle Are during you listening, those times. truck owners? <laughs> That's another episode. Our next episode is about trucks. So we can talk about that then. Um, so we got another question uh, about solid state batteries from Joseph in Toronto. Okay, what's, um, what's Joseph's question? He says, I watched a video about SSD batteries, so solid state batteries, which seem pretty cool. And I wanted to know if they've been already implemented in electric cars or will they be? And what are the pros and cons? So great wow. question. Joseph sounds like a pretty thoughtful guy. Very smart guy. Yeah. Um, this this takes a bit of unpacking because there's a lot of information to go through here. So yeah. let's let's see if we could do this. So like current batteries use a liquid um, as a means for energy to travel through. Yeah, like a, you know, lithium polymer. Lithium ion. Like, yeah. And that's why when you see batteries, they're like... And all the cells. Yeah. They're like these individual cells. And they're big, right? Yeah. And so solid state batteries don't use liquid. They use like a solid material like glass or ceramic for the energy to travel through. Yeah. Um, some of the pros and cons right now, the solid state batteries are still in a very early stage of development. Yeah. They're only being used right now in stuff like pacemakers, yeah, it's really tiny. like very tiny yeah. implementations of this technology, right? Um, some wearable stuff have SSD batteries. Um, and so the amount of research 
and development you would need to, to expand that to be able to run a car or even a cell phone is, is quite a bit off, but, right? But I, Nissan is, I think, is, is behind a push into yes. the R&D side. Um, Nissan, Toyota, I think a lot of automakers and a lot of like tech companies yeah. are looking into solid-state batteries. Yeah. And so Nissan is actually hoping to implement their first solid-state batteries into an electric vehicle in 2028. I think, you know, and th this is something that we kind of touched on in our last two episodes because it was, you know, demystifying EVs and, and intro to greener driving is that I think that projection gives a little bit of context into kind of like this is a long game, yeah. even though EVs have been around, you know, for the better part of the last whatever, 20 years um, in, you know, like full scale production. Um they're still in their infancy yeah. and the technology is changing so much. So the fact that, you know, Nissan is saying, hey, this is still like our projection, our hope is six years from now. Um, so it just shows you that it's like the all the eggs have been in, you know, like even lithium, like that's a newer yeah. technology. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, I, we're still a ways out. But I do think the potential is there because it's the cost is what they're trying to drive yeah, down. So right? like. Right now, lithium ion batteries and mining and all of that stuff um, needed to get those materials is very expensive, which is why EVs are typically a lot more expensive than regular gas powered cars. Um, some of the pros of solid state batteries would be like, A, they take up less space, yeah. which is the biggest one. They're less heavy, which will mean more range because it's less weight for an EV to carry around. Um, higher energy density. So besides being smaller, they can hold more energy in less space. And so that's a really good one. So it's lighter. They're, it's less sensitive to temperature changes. So right now, um, EVs lose a lot of range in the winter because lithium ion batteries um, just, they're really sensitive they to kinda, well, high they, and low temperatures. Yeah, they, they kind of gel up, right? It's, yeah. it's like they, the, the chemistry slows down in a, in a lithium ion battery yeah. in the cold weather. So it's like this would eliminate that. Problem. Exactly, which means more range for, yeah. for EVs, which is great. Uh, SSDs are also less flammable, and they would enable faster charging times, which is another one of those stumbling blocks yeah. with EVs right now is because like now it's at least an hour. Like If you want to charge an EV, you need at least an hour yeah. on the fastest charger. So here's, you know, that, that actually is, is something interesting. Um, so my my aunt is a is a quadriplegic she's been in a wheelchair you know for like for all of my life mm -hmm. um and so they have uh, an accessible van and my aunt and my uncle like they're very interested in electrification but those vans how they work is they lower the floor right well in the you know, current in an EV, that's where the batteries are. Yeah, yeah, and 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 because they're so thick, the battery packs have to be so so tall. You know, you can't do anything to to get around that right now. Um, so maybe like you know, these solid state batteries are that avenue to to these you know different types of yeah. vehicles that are still so important and maybe a little bit you know it pokes a little hole or or shows like a flaw in you know, these like government targets of like, hey, 2035, we want to sell, you know, no new yeah. internal combustion vehicles. But it's like, well, what if people 
you know, that need accessible vans like that, what are they going to do? Exactly. You and know? so I think this new technology will help enable so many more like creative packaging and designs yeah. of EVs. And it'll really open it up to be like literally more accessible to yeah. all types of different drivers, which is great. Um, and so going back to the cost. So Nissan says that right now, most automakers are paying $132 per kilowatt hour for a vehicle battery right now, okay. which is why they're so expensive. Yeah. With solid state batteries, they're hoping to get that cost down to $65 okay, per kilowatt so, hour. So like essentially half. Yeah, you and know. if and once those batteries become mainstream and like we figure out the manufacturing, that will bring down the cost of yeah. EVs dramatically. That's always the thing, right? It's I get the sticker shock, you know, but it's it, they're expensive to make, you know, and yeah. and that's just the reality of it. And uh, you know, we get a lot of weird comments about that, right? And it's like, what do you like? That gas-powered cars were like that when they first came out, and people were still, you know doing the horse and buggy thing while while you know well-to-do people were able to afford cars yeah that's kind of where we're at right now we're we're at that like early stage of you know it's going to be expensive yeah, yeah. you kind of have to pay to be an early adopter right like yeah. it's and it's like you know when the new iphone comes out it's so much money but you got lineups out the door for it because yeah. you want to be one of those first people yeah and we know it's not accessible to everyone but at some point it will be you know yeah um, and Nissan is saying that once they figure out how to do the solid state batteries, it will bring the cost of an EV to be like, like a regular gas powered car, the, which would be key. a game changer, I think. And realistically, okay, let's, let's look at it, you know, gas prices being what they are today, notwithstanding, because that, you know, was a, a definite curveball for a lot of people. Um, and it's going to continue to be for a while. But if that timeline, you know, makes sense, if that ends up lining up where it's like 2028 so call it 2030 just to be safe you know that's still five years until that mandate so if all of a sudden you're seeing prices drop you know dramatically because of solid state batteries on top of you know the rest of it mm -hmm. right um that really is you know the the kind of democratization of of electrification yeah. you're going to see it happen kind of quickly. Yeah, and I think at that point we'll see a lot more people willing to get into one because of yeah. those shorter charging times, yeah. less um, volatility with range when it comes to like temperature and stuff. Yeah. And it just, it, it takes away all of those pain points yeah. that we have currently. So yeah. like EVs five years from now are going to be like wildly cool. Totally. And so it, excited. And you know, I hate to like be that like, you know, brow beater of it, but it's like, if you don't you know, you're, you're sitting there still saying like, oh, it's not for me and I'll, I'll stick with my gas power. Thank you very much. Like, I hate to break it to you, but like, no, you won't. Like, there's <laughs> going to be a point like you're not, you know, you're not in charge of that beyond a certain point. So if, yeah. if the sales, if that target stays true, right, and 2035 is when we see no more brand new you know, yeah. internal combustion. You'll have to buy used vehicles. You'll have to buy used, which is fine if you want gas. for a lot of people. Um, but eventually, you have to think like that is that's a phase out, because right now, let's say like the I couldn't tell you what the average age of a of a used vehicle in Canada, but you know, I think like there's that 20 year window is what you normally see. People drive, you know. <laughs> if it's like a Corolla or something. Yeah, like cars, like used cars, yeah. usually in that, you know, couple year to, to 20 year old range. So that means like, 
once you get to the 2050s, like, the goal is they're gone. Yeah. Aside from, like, people having, you know, their collector cards. Oh, my God, 2050s. Yeah. That's insane. I don't want to think about that. Well, I'm just being realistic. <laughs> no, I know. It makes you know? a lot of sense, but it's, like, crazy to think about yeah. that far into the future. But I think we need to think of it. And that's You're part right. of this whole thing with Nissan with these solid-state yeah. batteries. And it, also, and it makes you think, going back to what I said, that, you know, the last 20 years of EV development has done a lot it's led us to this point but yeah. it's also been so minuscule with the potential that's there yeah but it's like i said last time i still think hydrogen was the answer and the fact that it never took off is a big mistake it's a bit of a shame yeah. um but we have we actually have two questions about evs well, so we have another question from peter and he asks this will is joseph's brother <laughs> Right. Peter says, will emergency vehicle services like CAA be able to assist owners of electric vehicles with boosts? So he's saying if you run out of range, yeah. if your battery is completely depleted, what kind of options do you have? So right now, if you have a gas powered car and you run out of gas, they'll just bring you a can like a jerry yeah. can of gas and you're a on Jody your way. Can. Yeah. yeah. there, And then you're on your way with electric vehicles. It's a little bit different. So um, Dan has a really great demystification here. Well, so it's it's tough like the first one is that it's i would call it you know i would say it's it's in progress um because that is a reality that you know we're gonna have to look at and it's like i said on that um you know the early i think it was the last episode um you know that mallory had said to me about like in an emergency situation you know like a natural disaster how are we all going to get out of town um, with these electric vehicles with limited range well, it's the same thing here where it's like, okay, yeah, you pushed it too far. You were on a road trip or whatever, and the charger you stopped at was broken, and then you went to the next one, and that one didn't work, so you've run out of juice. Right now, no. There, there aren't, to my knowledge, and if there are, please reach out at, you know, expert at trader.ca. See, I got it right that time? You did get it right that so, time. If the services exist in Canada, please reach out and let me know. But to my knowledge, right now, as of today whatever it is may 16th 2022 there are not these mobile services but i know there are companies that offer these kind of like mobile generators specifically for electric vehicle charging yep. that they're trying to push out onto the market yeah and that to me makes a lot of sense so instead of a tow truck driver coming to give you some gas they'll have a generator you can plug into um, and they'll really just give you enough power so you can get to like a real charging station yeah. Um, but that brings us to that next one where it's like the tow situation. So you can, you know, if you if you were in a Tesla, there's a, a tow mode. So if something goes wrong or whatever, it essentially like shifts the vehicle into neutral. But bear in mind that, you know, electric vehicles don't have transmissions, you know, or like not a multi-speed. Like, you know, the Porsche Taycan has that two-speed transmission to give you that, you right. know those gears to give it a little bit of a conventional acceleration off the top. Um, but they don't have transmissions and those electric motors are like directly connected to the wheels. So you can't tow them the way you would if your car died and you could just shift it into neutral and push it. Right. Yeah. Um, it can cause serious damage to those electric motors. And this is why last episode I said like you should never, ever ever deplete fully deplete and it's the same thing with a you know gas-powered vehicle you shouldn't let the tank run dry stuff happens with an electric vehicle if you're going away for an extended let's say you're a snowbird 
and you winter down in Florida um, and you own an EV, have either someone that can take care of it for you or a trickle charge to keep some juice in that battery because eventually it'll die and then you are in big trouble. <laughs> yeah, so the interesting thing that I didn't really think about is that EVs can't be towed on a tow truck. You have to flatbed it. Yeah, you'd have to flatbed it. it. So if, if ever you're, you're in an EV and you run out of power, you have to specifically ask for a flatbed tow truck. Yeah. Because that's yeah, the only way that you can safely it, get to a charger. If a traditional one shows up, like, you can't put it on the yeah. back of that. And thing. that's a big one to remember because I, I didn't really consider that. Yeah. And so I think that's something that you, sh you all should know as yeah. well because that's something that might happen, right? Um, yeah, crazy. Never thought yeah. about that. Um, so, again, if you have questions, please email us at expert at trader.ca. Again, anything car-related is on the table. Or There's not. no silly questions. We said before. Dan always likes to open up the questions to about anything. Food. I think someone wants, I think he wants someone to ask him about his personal life. So, if you want to no, do some digging. No, just like, you know, if you want to talk food, uh, music, you yeah. know, anything else that we Everything's on into. the table. If you have questions about that whole COVID travel experience, Hit me up. Yeah, he, he has lots of interesting insights on on stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we love to hear your questions. There's no silly questions. Yeah. Um, so thank you for joining us in episode three of Own the Road with this Auto Trader. It's always fun, Dan. I, I love really, doing yeah, these. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, so next yeah, week's going to be good, too. So our next episode is all about trucks. 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 So we know Canadians love trucks. We're going to go over kind of the basics of trucks, some tips on what to look for if you're new to trucks, all that good stuff. Making trucks simple for Canadians. Trucks. Trucks. Um, and yeah, so don't forget to subscribe and and rate our podcast if Please you enjoyed do. it. Rate my voice too, my truck's voice, <laughs> if you want. Are we going to do the whole episode in like truck voice? Oh, I might, <laughs> now that you've brought it up. Oh God, what am I getting myself into? Anyway. Uh, yeah, trucks next week. We're going to do an off-road, uh, full off-road one. Maybe in the summer at some point. Yeah. And yeah, you know, like like I said earlier, make sure you check out you know, Christian's uh, Facebook, Facebook group there, um, Overland North, they've got, you know, some, some great resources and great people in a couple events coming up soon. Uh, and yeah, get out there, explore, you know, hit the open road, lots to see in this great country of ours. And uh, until then, we'll see you next week. Have a great long weekend, everybody.